From Bossier City, Louisiana, this is the Grouch and the Brainstorm. And here we are again. One more episode again. of the Grouch and the Brainstorm. And this is episode number nine. And we don't title our episodes. We just kind of lead in before to let everyone know what we're uh, going to be talking about. And um, tonight with me, I got Matt. Say hi, Matt. Hello. I got Jill. Hey. Sitting out again will be Jennifer. She's got the kiddo. We've had a lot of power issues here in Bossier City, Louisiana. So um, getting us all together was actually probably a miracle. And it probably is a miracle to, to our guest as well, being able to spend some time other than at home with... Uh, well, just spending time at home because of the power outages Absolutely. in their areas. Pretty rough. So uh, we have Raj. Hello. Say hi, Roger. Hello. And we have Deb. Hello. And Raj and Deb are a couple. So, and they're a, uh, a, a unique couple in the program <laughs> of Alcoholics Anonymous, actually. They're not. They're, um, Roger is a member, and um, Deb has, has been grandfathered in as a uh, Roger's wife and we sure love to see her in meetings every day and we're glad you're here so would that, would that classify as grandmother then oh well yeah I guess so it'd be grandmothered in okay. you know I guess I gotta get more uh he said that day about in more, say that. more that contemporary my, with my terms it's grandmother. It's okay. <laughs> well you know I'm, I've been called worse right <laughs> um so today, um, but we're gonna what we're gonna do here is we're gonna go ahead and open up. Rod, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Because nobody out there even knows who you are. You, um, we don't use last names, just FYI. So. Okay. All right. Well, I'm Roger, and I am an alcoholic. Um, I have a sobriety date of December the 24th of last year. Good old Christmas Eve, and um, so yeah, that's uh, where I'm at now. Being that it's uh, coming up on the sixth month uh, of sobriety, of continuous sobriety, should I say. Um, you know, it's been a tough road, but I mean, it's it's getting a little bit better every day and uh, enjoying life for once. I used to think I was enjoying life, but uh, I think life was enjoying me. Yeah. <laughs> and boy, was it. Having <laughs> your way like a prison bitch. Ooh, man, <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> It was so bad. I think Bubba was my cellmate. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it tends to do that to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We've so, all heard Matt's story. Well, hey, <laughs> y'all hadn't heard it near enough, actually. But uh, <laughs> how, so, my first question is: sobriety date, Christmas Eve. How's that? How's that come about? Oh well, I guess that's when we had the proverbial head pop out of the ass. Finally, I got you. Uh, <laughs> the pop. <laughs> yeah. Um, Three 30-day chips, five desire chips later. And Debbie had to explain to me that I wasn't allowed to collect three 30-day chips and cash them in for a 90-day. Wait, what? No, yeah. <laughs> it's new to me. Sounds legit. Sounds legit. <laughs> I mean, come that checks on. out. <laughs> a for effort, right? Yeah. But, uh, but no, it was a rough go. Um, it really was. Um, I was in that um, that def- desperate state, that's for sure, when I stumbled into the doors. And literally, I think I almost stumbled in um, to the rooms of AA. And, um, you know, it just seems like every time I got a 30-day chip, I'd celebrate. So mm-hmm. um, that that was tough to get over. I mean, it really was. And, I mean, it's it. there's no doubt in my mind it was only because when I did give – uh, give everything to God, uh, you know, and made it God's will. Um, I got complacent, you know, and it didn't take long. And next thing you know, it was my will. And uh, when I removed it from his hands, it, it always ended with a bottle in my hand. Yeah. And, uh, so, yeah, um, and luckily enough, my sponsor said, well, and this is after the fifth desire chip. He said, there's one thing we haven't tried, so we're going to give it a whirl. And he says, it's going to take some commitment from you, but we're going to have to do this 90 meetings in 90 days consecutively without <laughs> fail. So I'm like, yeah, I guess think about it. This is the one thing we have not tried. And uh, I was willing, you know. 
it's not like I would go drink and never come back to the rooms. Hell, I kept coming back. And uh, in the, um, you know, the making a, a necklace out of all the coins yeah. joke. <laughs> that was a good one. It happens. Uh, I had never heard it until that night. And then I found out it was just something that somebody else had said before. I took it personal for about 10 seconds. And, uh, you know, as an alcoholic, we don't give a shit what anybody says about us. So anyway, um, 90 meetings, 90 days has led to just a few days away from uh, six months. That's awesome. It feels good. Your sponsor sounds real mean. Who is your sponsor? He is. You know, that's that's cool because I was thinking about that today whenever um, I heard somebody else talking about how they chose their sponsor and they wanted to make sure they chose the right sponsor. I didn't choose my sponsor. My sponsor kind of chose me, <laughs> and uh, I, I took it as God sent him to me, honestly. Uh, but, yeah, Mr. Mike himself uh, is my sponsor. Yeah, he's not mean either. I'm just joking. He's not. The only thing I've ever heard about the guy is he's extremely good looking. He's got a, a face good for with, radio. He's good with nunchucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's good with nunchucks. He's known for that. And cookie eating. He's good at that, oh, too. Man. Yeah. You know, <laughs> one after another. Yeah, bags after another. So, so, um, and, and this, this program and me coming in here, I know there's been. I've had so much support, just alcoholics, non-alcoholics, family. So with your better half sitting here, Miss Deb, tell us about the behind the scenes of keeping him, keeping his behind in line. And Oh, that's a full-time job. I, we know that. that we know that. Yes. Watch your mouth. <laughs> you just, you just got to have a lot of patience. So, so we have we have people out there listening, and the point of doing all this, and the reason, like, why we were we were excited that you're here is because a lot of people that listen to this are not necessarily just alcoholic, but they have somebody in their family, or they're they're dealing with trying to to do what they can to help. So, how was that for you? I mean, with it with him starting and stopping, like a lot of us do, you know, to get started, it 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 can be up and down, you know. How was that? How was that? It was tough. It was tough for sure. him. It was tough for me. I just kept trying to just pray a lot, talk yeah. to him a lot. And I just kept, you know, I just kept trying to convince him that if he just turn everything over and do it y'all's way, the AA way, and stop trying to do it his way, you know, yeah. that it might work a little bit better. And I knew that he had the will. I knew that he had the want to. He just had to let loose and quit trying to do it his way. Right. He's pretty stubborn. I, I heard something about you from him early on when he came in, and he said he was doing a bunch of meetings, and this was this was pretty early on. And he said one night y'all had something, and y'all were at home, and he said he had gone to two or three weeks in a row of meetings every day. And he said he was kind of aggravated, like, I can't make the meeting. And he couldn't. He was trying to make the meeting, but he couldn't. And uh, he told me this, and he said uh, – I was in the kitchen with my wife, and she said, "Well, then let's just do the meeting right now. Pull the pull the daily reflection up, and and y'all did it right there." And I just thought that that's why he's going to be all right right there. So, um, but we're we're uh, we're glad y'all are here to to Roger. So, uh, you know, backtracking a little bit, when you started drinking, the the kind of the beginning, how was that? <laughs> I I was a late bloomer when it came to drinking, honestly. 10, uh, 11. Uh, <laughs> right. <Four. and>, uh, <laughs> like 20 years old. And, uh, okay. So I was the guy in high school that would drive everybody else around and uh, because they were all drinking, and I just couldn't stand the taste of beer. Couldn't mm -hmm. stand it. I couldn't even stand the smell of beer. And uh, I remember my first beer that I drank, and I don't know that I finished it. It was a Miller Genuine High Life. The, the, Miller High the, Life. Miller High Life, the gold. Miller Gold. We was um, dove hunting, and none of the adults, being that they were 
unclassified alcoholics, but it's what we grew up around. Um, not not my parents. It's the my daddy was always too busy working to be able to go do stuff like that. So, um, but they always had plenty of beer, and we ate a dry sandwich. We had nothing but bologna to put on the sandwich, and we were choking to death. Me and a buddy of mine were, and his grandfather said, get you a beer out of that box. Ain't nobody going to know it but us. We were sitting in the barn taking a break, and I tried. I think me and Todd ended up split, splitting that uh, beer. Was it like a pony? No, like it, a- was a full <laughs> on, it was a full-on, but it was horrible. It tastes like it had rocks in it. You know, that's how hard <laughs> it was to go down, and I didn't like it. I was a kid then, so, I mean, it, was, it wasn't until I was out of school – no, no children yet, and uh, it was before uh, my oldest son was born. And um, but I started drinking Budweiser. A buddy of mine was going to college, so I was working nights. And so when he'd get out of school during the day, he'd come to my house, and we would drink. Of course, before I had to go to work, and it was Budweiser, and of course that made my head hurt. And I just thought that's part of drinking, you know. So I just kept trying and kept trying until I started acquiring a taste for beer, and unfortunately, it uh, it really set in with me. And uh, but I was a cheap drunk. Now. I can't tell you three or four beers. I was done, man. I was done until that night. I hit that Jack Daniels. Yeah. And uh, boy, I'm gonna tell you, I just uh, that was the first time I ever threw up drinking. And uh, but it had me at that point right there. I know what night it was. And um, I mean, I was hanging on to a cyclone fence, just trying to keep my feet on the ground. I was throwing up so hard, my feet were coming off the ground, man. And uh, but it was rough. But you drink it all? Huh? You drink it all? I don't know how much of it I drank, but it was enough to turn me inside out. I promise you that. But uh, that's probably what led to my my uh, definite alcoholism. Of course, I didn't know that's what it was for many, many years. And uh, now that I'm uh, in, uh, you know, in the AA program and have stopped drinking, you know, I've talked to some people about it, you know, and they're like, man, you know, I didn't know if you ever knew you was an alcoholic, but it's just, where God, I ain't never seen nobody drink beer like you could. Mm-hmm. I could start at 530 in the morning and I could still be going at midnight and never check up, never take a nap or anything and just roll. And, uh, it's impressive. It was. <laughs> impressive. It was. And, uh, so anyway, that's kind of where I got my professional start. So Jill may have an input on this, but my counselor in rehab when I was there, I was I was like you. It, it, the longer I went, I could just go, you know. And she told me that in the food and drug book, as, uh, alcohol was classified as a depressant. You know, most people go home, they have a drink, they relax, they unwind. And she said, for guys like you, it's a stimulant. Oh, yeah. And I went, ooh, that makes perfect sense. Absolutely. And I was, I was the same way, man. I could, I could roll. So, till it was all gone. And then, then Katie barred the door after that. So, but I don't know, Jill may. It's most definitely a depressant. Yeah, well, I know that. But there part, are a lot of drugs, you know, people have different re- reactions to, you know, uh, like uh, uh, I, had, I was the same way with opioids. Mm-hmm. You know, most people would, would like lay them out. Mm. But me, I was like, superwoman, can I please clean your house for yeah, free? I've heard that. There, I've yeah. heard. I've heard. <laughs> and, and, and please don't take this the wrong way. But, you know, I've been in several facilities and I've heard people like take a whole bunch of those things and then yeah. want a clean house. Yeah. Like there's something about opioids that make you want to clean. <laughs> yes. It, it highly motivating. <laughs> Is it? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I they put me out, man. Put me. And to by sleep. the way, Roger said that um, that that he didn't like the way the beer smelled, and and I always, you know, I never liked uh, cocaine. I wasn't ever addicted to that, but I did like the way it smelled. Yeah, you know what I'm I saying. I always so, liked the way it smelled. Yeah, there's that. <laughs> but well, I guess if you a, smell it before you taste it, <laughs> well, you like the way it tastes too. Yeah. Well. So, um, and it yeah. didn't sound good. Didn't isn't that crazy though that we. That you're throwing, that you're throwing up on a fence, losing everything, you know, losing your mind basically, and you go, I got to do that again. Got to do right. that again. Giddy up, huh? Where, where is that it, with us? That, that's that's like, yeah. As soon as I get through doing this and recover, I'm right I, back at it. I drank again that night. Yeah, there you go. 
once I got that all out of my system, I said, well, you hit okay, again, huh? I'm, yeah. I'm empty now. Good I might to go. as well go for it again. Mm-hmm. And just took off and did it again. That's when normal people go, hey, man, that was a bad experience. I'm not going to do that. It's <laughs> like if we went to a gas station and ate sushi out of the gas station. You're only going to do that once in your oh. life. And you're going <laughs> to like regret that before. <laughs> I was trying to become a professional. I'm an alcoholic. I've done it more than once, and I regretted it more than once. But... But, you know, it's not enough to keep you away, not enough to keep me away. Yeah. But uh, I was listening to this podcast today and I heard the the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again. I've always said that was a definition of stupidity. Well, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's just to do it over and over and, you know, just anticipating something else is going to happen. Well, largely, and if, if you Google this, this will come up. So this isn't just me coming up with stuff off the top of my head. But if you Google definition of insanity, AA, it'll come up with something different. And the definition, and I'm, I don't speak for AA. I'm just going by some stuff I've read and, and heard and all this other stuff. But insanity being that you be physically completely sober and still choose to pick up that drink not knowing what's going to happen once you do or knowing what's going to happen which is usually leads to you know bad behavior or more beverages you know and and i heard a speaker me and matt heard the speaker i I don't think matt had made it yet down in covington but he is talking about you know the guy that sits down and he hadn't drank in a while and he knows he has a drinking problem and he picks up a drink and says i'm only going to drink one but then after that one he changes his mind and then after that three, he changes his mind again. And before you know it, he's off to the races, you know. So insanity in AA terminology means more of just being sober and knowing you have a problem and still choosing to pick up that one, which is it can we could all tie it back to the whole, you know, doing the same thing over and over again and getting the same result. But in Alcoholics Anonymous, don't we do the same five things over and over again every day and get the same result? True, true. Which takes true. us back to sanity. Sure. Yes. Right. Absolutely. So, eh, you know. It's good. Not trying to be a philosopher over here or anything. <laughs> I want to enroll in your school. Man. Yeah, well, you know, there's only a couple things vanity. I've studied, and, you know, the art of nunchuck is one. and <laughs> The master. <laughs> I can't wait to see your uh, videos on that. Well... Uh, you know, there's videos? It's it's a podcast. You just hear it. You just hear it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's all anonymous. Anonymous yeah. nunchuck. Lock me in a vat full of flies with a nunchuck and see how many I can get in 35 seconds. <laughs> but in that, in, in, in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, which is, is it says in our book, you know, it talks about this fellow that, um, and I wish I, Jim, it talks about Jim. And how he kept going back out and he kept having the same problem over and over again. And it says in the book, you know, that Jim had failed to enlarge his spiritual life, right? So realistically, as long as we continue, me, I, don't, I can't speak for everybody else, but as long as I continue to practice step 11, and um, well, all the steps, but mainly step 11, talking to that higher power and um, improving my conscious contact with God, you know, my my spiritual life continues to grow and to grow and to grow. And so um, that keeps me sober, you know. So, um, you know, one of the things I wanted to talk about tonight, and, um, and Deb, feel free to chime in anytime. This isn't a, you know, this isn't a closed meeting. She's on a roll. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm glad you came. I really am. Um, is the will and the life, and it talks about in our step three in the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous that we made a decision, and we're not talking about the decision here. We're not even talking about really step three. But it talks about in step three, made a decision to turn our will and our life over to the care of God as we understand him. And the will and the life part, you know, I never could quite grasp what is will in life. Am I supposed to get up every day and say the same prayer? What what exactly is will in life to you? And um, that's something that as a newcomer, you know, if somebody's sitting out there and they're debating on whether to do the steps, you know, this would probably be more appealing to someone who's like, you know what? I really would like to hear somebody's input on what in the hell is this will in life thing, you know? Um, so, uh, Matt, what do you, what do you, what is the will in the life to you? Well, to me, to me, um, 
I spent so much time doing what I wanted to do, the consequences would be damned. And, you know, marriage, kids, job, none of that other stuff mattered. And and I could I could dump that. I could always justify, you know, well they're they're upset because they don't understand this or you know, and all it was 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 my selfishness and then it the the addiction progressed so far that it was just an unstoppable monster after a while. It was just no stopping. But um I didn't have any control over then I then I didn't have it. It wasn't even my will anymore. Um it was that running wild. Uh you know, and today as I've gone through turning my will in my life over means that that I mean my prayers today are when I get up in the morning I I pray and this has evolved over time but I pray that hey you know don't let me pass an opportunity if somebody if I'm able to help somebody don't let me be in such a rush or such stuff going on that I pass that little moment where I could I could help somebody out that it's something I could do that could help them and I can promise you the Matthew of five years ago, that was never a prayer, okay, for any reason or a thought uh, unless I was going to get something out of that. Um, turning turning things over is why I'm sitting at a podcast talking about sobriety five years after because um, you can call the state of Mississippi and check in on some of my passion and against and um, I was not – it was not, uh, you know, God's will <laughs> going on there. Um, and so I just try to be involved in things today that I feel like, you know, I, I do pray about things and, and I do ask my sponsor a lot of things, you know, is this the right way to go? Um, Mike asked me about something the other day. The first thing I did, I did pray about it. And I also called my sponsor and said, is this something that I need to be involved in? And, what's the what's the benefit of it and it's not the benefit for me like what is this gonna you know and we talked about it and so for me to be in that mindset and not that i'm perfectly in that mindset all the time but i really try to be and i've gone i'm at the point now where when my thinking gets a little selfish i realize it pretty pretty quickly most of the time and that's good that's a good thing i like those warnings in my head to go off and go hey dude you're an asshole you know and i go that's the that that old guy can show up real fast and it lets me know i'm trying to pull that wheel back and and take it away um and i'm pretty glad about that i'm glad when i get those warnings and i can go to somebody and go i'm so sorry like that was that was not uh i shouldn't have done that and um you know, but you you don't you don't ever know God's plan and what He's got for me to do. I never thought I'd be doing any of this stuff that I do now, ever, for any 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 inkling of it. Right. Um, and it's just today is just awesome. I'm like, man, like I'm I'm literally living the dream. People always ask me all the time, "How's it going?" I go, "Living the dream," because I am every single day. I yep. am, and. I get to hang out with people. I get to see them get better, and it actually means something. It affects so many lives in a positive way, and I spend a long time affecting them in a negative way. So to me, I try to, as best I can to walk in that direction. And, uh, you know, I mean, that's kind of what that means to me. Yeah. Um, you know, when I think about when I first heard that, I mean, it literally made absolutely no sense. I mean, zero sense. I didn't know there was a thing as God's will. I mean, I just wasn't taught that. And um, as far as anybody's will, it just wasn't something that was literally never brought up in my house. So my counselor was like, you've been living in Jill's will. And I was like, what the hell? I don't know what that means because you need to start living in, in God's will. And I just sat there and it was so confusing. I started crying because like, maybe I've lost my mind, you know, like I felt like I was losing touch with the reality because like, I don't, you just said a word I've never heard before, um, you know, in that context. But, uh, you know, when I started, to, it took me a while to really, really get that. And to me, you know, my will in my life, that means pretty much everything, 
everything that's me, everything I do, everything I ever will do, everything that I feel, I think, whatever that is, I, I leave that up to my higher power. Um, I give it over to my higher power because that's just a, that's just what I do now. And everything runs so much smooth, so much more smoothly when I do this. I never realized now looking back on my life and how out of control it was and insane it was. And uh, that that was all my will, you know, because I've been told my whole life that you make things happen. There's nothing out there. You do it. And um, I just pretty much, I think, spent my whole life just constantly bashing my head up because the wall, nothing was ever working. Nothing was ever going my way. And I can see why now, because I was trying to force it. I was trying to make it happen. And um, I just like got the same shitty results every time. And I just thought, well, that's just the way things are. My life's complete shit. And that's just the way it is. Um, and, and I'm grateful I got to learn this about you know, God's will and all, because I, I just can't even imagine where I'd be right now if I even was alive, would be alive. But um, every morning I do pray for God's will in my life. And I'm just like, your will, not mine. Your will, not mine, please. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you've, you've both said a mouthful, that's for sure. Um, you know, I, I had a hard time as well with understanding what was God's will. Um, little did I know it was completely opposite of my will. Yeah. <laughs> you know, exactly. and I had a hard time understanding that because it was just like, but I prayed about it, but I prayed about it, you know, so I couldn't wait on God anymore. So I went on about my being and, uh, of course, and then everything goes south and you have a real crappy day. Um, Mike, when you mentioned what we were going to talk about tonight, I looked up just quick like you know the the a, a good definition of will you know and it's just yeah. like my will god's will and everything so I, I found well there was like a hundred in there but one of them that really kind of stuck out to me it was uh mental powers manifested as wishing choosing desiring or intending all right and when i was when i read that i was like you know that was my life <laughs> everything that i wished for everything that i intended to happen that didn't happen you know, I'm just thinking, man, I've just got just the look of the Irish with with a rotten four-leaf clover, you know. It's just it wasn't going right. And little did I know that it was God's will. It wasn't it wasn't what I wanted, but God did me a lot of favors by not letting things work out in my uh, 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 the way I desired or wished or uh, that I was intending for it to go. And um, that, I'm thinking that was one of the hardest things for me to um, let go and let God, I, I just had to, once I started dabbling with it, if you will, saying, okay, let me, mm -hmm. I'm going to give you a couple of days here and I'm not going to fight you on any of it. Of course, I always knew when I did, I, di I didn't wake up and say, all right, I'm not liking the way you're doing this, but I had a drink that day, you know? So I'm like, okay, there it went. I took it back. You know, and so, you know, and, and a good example is with all this storm that came through and everything, all these powers that have been out, we were going to be up through Saturday at work, you know, without power, which is horrible in a, in a uh, facility like that. Can you work without power? No. So I started it's really horrible. because I was standing around talking. Yeah. So I started Sunday night trying to rent. A generator. Now, when I say generator, I'm talking about like a 100 kW three-phase yeah. generator. To Pull burn. behind a truck kind. Yes. And so I couldn't find one naturally. What made me think that I could? And so emailing with customers and what have you, I was just like, man, I just, I've got to make this happen. I've got to make it happen. It's, it's on me. Everybody's looking at me to make this happen. But they weren't. You know, everybody may have been looking at me. I'm not God. I can't make this happen. Yep. So I realized that this afternoon, I was sitting at the office like I'm going to make something happen. Around 2 o'clock, 2.30, I just went, dude, what are you doing? If it ain't God's will, this power ain't coming home. Yeah, there you go. Get in your truck and go home. Just like I was the only one there. I was the only one there. Like I'm going to do something with no power. <laughs> I went home. 
<laughs> Did you have power at home? Uh, yes. Well, there you go. And so I get home, and Debbie asked me, oh, are you going to make a meeting? I said, sure, absolutely. I've got nothing else to do. Might as well. I think I need it. I just got a text a minute ago. Power's on at the office. <laughs> and it didn't need you. And it did not need me. <laughs> so I quit trying. <laughs> I guess the whole time I was trying, God sat back going, all right, let me see how this works out. I'm just laughing, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> Go hit the meter again. <laughs> see if that works. <laughs> <laughs> I should have a bruised hand from hitting because we got like five meters there. I'm hitting all of them. Come on, you know how your headlight goes out and you go over and bump it and it goes oh, yeah. on. Yeah. yeah. So. Now it's an added bonus. Tomorrow morning somebody's gonna call you and see if you want to rent a generator. Yeah, I know. That's just how it no, works. Oh yeah. Yeah. One of the rental companies has all my information, you know, credit card information, and everything. But a, a reserved one, you know. So uh but it doesn't take effect until we take possession so i'm no, no ties there but i mean that's just a really really good prime example of will um it, it goes down it's, it's multiple times during the week and it happens every day i have to catch myself and it's so easy to get caught up oh, yeah. in yourself and i mean be halfway across the floor angry about something and just stop Let's go back to your office, dude. You're like, there I go again. Yeah, there I go again. Why? Why? Just leave it alone, you know? And so it's, um, I tell you, uh, from a year ago to today, the person I am is nowhere near what y'all are seeing in front of right now, I promise you. Um, I would be the loudest, most obnoxious person in the room. Deb confirms that. She's nodding over there. And if you got louder than me, I made sure to get close to you and get even louder to let you know I am the most obnoxious and loudest person in this room. <laughs> and I demanded the attention <laughs> because Matt, of that. Matt, you have competition. Hey. <laughs> no, you can have it now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> you can have it now. I'm obnoxious now, so I don't know. Yeah. yeah. yeah so. Well, you know, talking about the will and what God has in store, you know, I always look at it as, as we, and I think we do as a self-centered, like, um, you know, this, this, it's all about me, you know? And, um, so year, year, year and a half ago, I get out of the business that I've been in for about 10 years and I'm like, I'm burnt out. I'm done. I'm, I'm going to do something new. I'm tired of this. You know, I'm just grouchy about it. I'm, I'm fed up. So I take a job in a different business. Hate it. Hate it with a passion. It is not for me. I'm fussing the whole time. I gave this guy my word, talking to him, that we would try it for a year. He knew I was in a different business. And I think I was there about seven months. Came into the fall, slow down time, and he let me go. Okay? So I'm fussing the whole time there. I'm like, I knew this was, you know, I'm fussing. Here's what came out of that. So I've got the best job I've ever had in the, I went back in the business I'm in. I wouldn't have met the guy who owns the company if I hadn't been working at the place that I hated working at. Here's the other part of that. There was one guy who got in trouble with alcohol, a young guy. And he got in trouble, law, the whole deal, got in trouble with the company. The owner knew a little bit about me and said, you need to go out there and talk to him. Go out there and talk to Matt. You, you got a problem. So the guy did. And he's a year sober now. And that's that's all I got out of working at that place. And I say that's all I got in quotations. So I got a really good friend now who's really strong in this program. And now he's sponsoring people. <laughs> and and I got a, the best job I've ever had in this business over something because it it was God used me just to be in that place at that time. And that's where he needed me to be. And, uh, I really had to work on some attitude and some ego and all that good stuff. And I don't think I did a real good job of it, to be honest. But, uh, but at the, at the end of the day, I just talked to my sponsor about this the other day and he said, all that stuff needed to happen. And I was like, yeah, it did. And it wasn't about me. And, uh, you know, when you realize God may put you in a crappy job just to help one dude give, give him, you know, Hey, let's go over here and go to a meeting, you know? And, that was all it was, you know, but you go through all that stuff and you look back and go, well, that was God doing 
what he needed to do, not what Matt needed to do. Absolutely. So. And when you realize it, yeah, it makes it kind of worth what you had to oh, go yeah. through. Because at the time, it sucks. Yeah. yeah. That's one of the coolest things about sobriety is looking back and, and seeing God's will. And you're like, damn, I wish I would have known that and then. And like, you know what's so crazy? It's, it's, the, it's really beautiful, man. And I, I, like I said, I'm living the dream. But even with all that going on, like I look at it now and I ask my buddy. And then he, uh, you know, he's doing great. And he's like going to get his life together. And he's a young guy and he's doing really good. And we laugh about it now because, uh, you know, it, just the, the situation we were in and neither one of us worked for that place anymore. Um, but I remember he came in about six months after he stopped drinking and doing all that, maybe six, eight months. And I came in there one day, I still buy stuff from him and went in and the, the owner who had told him to talk to me, he came over and he goes, Hey man, what happened to that guy? And I said, what do you mean? I kind of started laughing. He goes, I don't know what happened. He's totally different. And, uh, not to tell his business, but I know he made some amends and he did some things that we do. And just the look on his face, he looked better. And they went, I don't know wh what y'all did. And I said, nobody did anything. You know, right. God did it. And he set his butt in a chair. That's what ended up happening. So, yeah. but yeah, it's a uh, life's pretty cool today. But yeah. yeah. Deb, what'd you think about that? What do you think about the will in the life? And, and, well, I just think it's kind of funny that y'all all thought it was about y'all. <laughs> we always y'all can it was clearly about see it was all about Roger. It's <laughs> <laughs> exactly what we needed to hear right now. <laughs> What's that sound of our head popping out of our ass? Yeah, yeah. Well, so. I I I feel like you know whether you are allowing the will of God to lead your way that. He's going to lead you where he wants you, whether you want him to or not. You know, every situation that you find yourself in, he put you there, mm -hmm. you know, and against your will. Yeah, sometimes. He put you there, and he's going to leave you there until you have that pop yeah. and you figure it out. And then when you start feeling, you know, we were all put on this earth. None of us were put on this earth to do our will. We were put on this earth to do his will. Yep. And until you figure that out, he's going to let you sit there and kick and scream. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's going to put you through it and test you and show you that, you know, you can pretend like it's all about you and, you know, and until you finally give in and accept it and start listening to, yeah. you know. I should have been an actor because I had everybody convinced it was about me. I really yeah. thought it was for a while. Well, yeah. and the, there you go, how it is a family disease. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, absolutely. Well, I think what's so cool about, you know, God's will is that I have lost a tremendous amount of anger, frustration, just general discontentment all of it because like it is what it is and it's going to happen just the way it's supposed to and I don't try to force anything to happen or make anything happen it all just happens and I'm okay with it yeah yeah even if, if it's if, it, if I hate it I'm okay with it yeah but yeah. did you learn that's, something from that's what God wanted <laughs> blessing or a blessing a lesson or a blessing. way too many times Absolutely. yeah so it's a great feeling when they, when something doesn't go my way now, and I'm like, well, I guess that's what God wants. Isn't that nice? It is. And so, I mean, you know, then I learned to love it. Then I learned to love it. And no matter how bad it sucked, I learned to love it. Yeah. Because, I mean, hey, that's what God wanted for me. Cool. You know? Yeah. And yeah. I think the growth of it, too, is like you become, like, for as long as, as you and Mike are, you know, down that road, and as you go down that road, you become more. You fight it a lot in the beginning. Oh. It's a battle, but I think you do. Like they said, man, you you you, you go, okay, something's up here. This ain't, may not be the ideal situation, but there's something going on, so I better be on my best behavior and just do the best I can. And and that stuff tends yeah. to show up, you know. Yeah. So. The, the rooms of AA are infectious, sure. whether people know it or not. Mm -hmm. They really are. And, you know, of all the clubs there are here in the Shreveport-Mosier City area, um, 
the koala club was the first one I came to. And I mean, some of the y'all there was like, Hey, go to other ones, check them out. And I said, well, I don't want to know where are you from? Well, I'm from Blanchard. And they're like, Oh, you need to find one closer to home. I'm like, what, you don't want me here? You know, <laughs> what's the deal? You know, well, little I know everybody was trying to make it easy on me to make sure I got to a meeting every sure. day. And, uh, f- fortunately I've stuck with this club and, um, uh, it's, it's nice. And like I say, it's very infectious, um, to the point where Debbie, who is not the alcoholic, if she has a bad day at work and if it's one of our nights, we probably weren't planning on going, she gets home and says, we got to go to a meeting. Yeah. And I'm like, well, we were going to stay home and cook. She goes, no, we've got to go to a meeting. <laughs> I like it. She needs a meeting. And because uh, there's a lot of comforting words that are said. It's, it, and it, when I say comforting words, okay, maybe that's just a, 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 a fluffy way to say it. It's the truth. A lot of yeah. truth is spoken in these walls. And, you know, and there again, the truth may not be what you want to hear, but it's the truth is spoken in these rooms. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, and that's sometimes that's what we want to hear there again going like god's will might not be what i wanted but it's the truth and it is what it is and so therefore i learned to love it boom you just said something it is what it is it is what it is so you know that 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 when i think about the will and the life you know and i've got many stories i could tell about the will and the life and and for one where i'm at today is not where i'm gonna be you know, I have to remember that this is just one more day in the life of, of me, you know. But a lot of the, for me, for me, the program is shrouded in acceptance, you know. And, and it goes from being at the very beginning accepting who and what I am to later on accepting just life on life's terms, I think as we call it, in, in AA. And I'm not sure if that's written in a book anywhere. I'm sure it's written in a book somewhere, but not in the, the books that we read. But... You know, acceptance, but for me, turning my will in my life over to the care of God, you know, is basically having to come to an understanding, it is what it is. That's just, it is exactly what it is. And I know we, you know, I got sober when I surrendered, Mm -hmm. right? So the hardest thing I've ever done in my entire life, the hardest thing was get sober. Second hardest thing I ever done was ask somebody to sponsor me. But the hardest thing I've ever done in my life was to get sober. And I'm talking about I've, I've had some regular life issues and I've, I've had a career and kids and the whole nine yards, marriages. And and the hardest thing was to ever get sober. But the minute I surrendered to the fact that I can't do this by myself, I need to listen to these folks, is the minute I started getting sober. And if I think about that mathematically – that's going to work with any problem in my life. You know, the minute I surrender is the minute I begin to win. So if I surrender to the fact that things didn't work out at work, that's turning that situation over to the care of God so that I can go on and be a more productive human being, you know, move on to the next thing. You know, another one is what another member of our our fellowship says a lot is God's going to do his thing and he doesn't need my input. You know, he just, he, he does not need my help. He managed for all those years before I got here, you know, to do that. And so is it, is it something that is easy or practiced every day in some form or another? It is practiced every day. You know, I want to, let's talk about something hard. Okay. And I don't know if everybody in here has ever experienced it, but uh, something I don't like is heartache. I do not like being hurt. Nope. It is just not something I like to do. It is the reason why it dictates a lot of my decisions in life now because I don't like to hurt people. I don't want anybody to ever feel that. And you can't shake it. It ain't something like you can just go take a dump and it's gone. You know, you can't throw it away, throw it up and it's gone. It just it kind of sticks with you and it stays on your face. It weighs on you. It does. And, And, you know, and it can go on for, you know, it can determine you as a human being. If you, you know, after after a little bit of time, it's a mood, you know, and then after a long bit of time, it is actually part of your personality. And, you know, you become like uh, mopey or whatever it is, you know. And so you can't just sit there and go, it is what it is. 
I'm going to go out and fish because when you're fishing, it's still with you. You know, what I like about the program of Alcoholics Anonymous is there are ways, things that we can do to get out of ourselves and help other people that even if for that brief one hour that we're spending in that room with someone, I'm talking about one-on-one work or in a meeting, somehow there is some relief from that. Yeah. There's and, and that is part of turning that will and that life over. Now, maybe if I did that more often... And I had that relief more often, the heartache wouldn't last as long or it would go away. And I bring that up because that is, is that is probably the toughest situation I've ever been in. And, you know, I, I tell this story a lot and I don't I don't normally like to talk a lot, but um, I tell this story a lot. But there was a, a time, a meeting one night on a Saturday night down at the Koala Club. And it was a 530 meeting in Jamie, Jamie T. We all know Jamie, right? A uh, redheaded guy, yeah. older older gentleman. He actually looks younger, but he's older. He uh, he chaired the meeting, and the subject was acceptance. And he read from the big book in the back, four seventeen or four forty nine, whichever book you got. And he read that acceptance is the answer. And I'm sitting there and I'm listening, and <laughs> I'm still at the point. You know, I'm working step three with my sponsor. I'm still at the point where if it didn't pertain to me, you know, like a meeting on anger, I just really didn't have anger issues, so I just kind of tuned out, you know, anger, you know. But this didn't really pertain to me, but I really liked Jamie, and I liked the way he read it, so I sat there and I listened to him, right? And then I get home. Uh, that night, I lived down the road, the other side of the Koala Club, um, down there at Airline and uh, Shed. I lived down there. And um, I get home in about, I don't know, 8 o'clock at night, so two and a half hours after the meeting, and I get home, and I get the most devastating news I could have ever gotten at that time. You know, something happened with my kids is obviously the most devastating, but I didn't get that. I got the second most devastating news, you know, and all of a sudden I'm just enraged with heartache. I just don't know what to do. There's nothing I can do. And so I go get in the shower, and I'm crying, and I'm debating on drinking because I know how to make the pain go away. I know how to make it stop, and it does. It stopped for years before for this. And I'm, I'm showering, and I just I also know that if I take that drink, I'm probably going to end up dying because I was dying four months before when I got into the rooms of AA. How's that going to change? It's not. So... I get on my hands and knees, and I spend about four hours praying and crying and snotting and all that other good stuff that goes along with it. And at some point during all that, I just accepted it just is what it is. You've got to focus on sobriety if you're going to live the rest of your life. And I was a 38-year-old man at the time. And I got up the next morning, and the heartache was still there, right? It was still there, but it wasn't so bad that I couldn't go back to a meeting later that day. And... I learned to practice acceptance the hard way. My choice, right, was to either A, go drink, or B, you've got to figure out a way to get through this. And this guy just read a passage about how to get through it. So I think, you know, turning my will in my life over at that point is there's absolutely nothing I can do. Oh, and since I can't do anything, I'll let you, God, you know. Right. And also, a lot of times I spend with sponsees, I talk about, you know, there's a natural order of things, too. The way things are just going, the way they're going to go, you know, and the only thing certain is I'm going to be born and I'm going to die. And anything in the middle of that, I'm really just kind of getting in the way. And and 12 years ago, almost 12 years ago, some, some guy sat me down and said, hey, look, man. Just suit up and show up and quit worrying about everything else in the world. And I thought they were stupid. Didn't know what they were talking about. And here it's been almost 12 years later. And that's really all I've done. Because I'm not that smart of a person. I'm not, there's nothing special about me. But I have the most amazing life, you know. And I've learned in AA how to cope with some of the, some of the things that plague me, you know, on a daily basis. So, um, you know, but I also heard since since I'm still talking, I guess <laughs> I also heard someone in a meeting one day call their will in their life, their thoughts and their actions. Yeah. So they turn their thoughts and their actions over to the care of God. So if I think it's a good idea to strip down and run through the apartment complex, uh, 
It's probably not a good idea. Not a good idea. <laughs> now, there's two. There's a thought and an action, action. involved there. That action always gets you. <laughs> yeah. So, you know. <laughs> well, if it gets you, it's because there was more action there. With thought. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> Which I did a lot when I was drinking. Oh, my goodness, yes. You know, and it, and ultimately, if I, as I look back, it cost me dearly. You know, it cost me everything. So, um. What you got, man? I know you uh, just your I, brain is. I can see his brain man, stirring. It's wide open. You know, we we've never Mike and I have never talked about this, but I had that man. I mean, like the uh, situation. Uh, I'm gonna try to not put too too much somebody else's business on the air uh, to for the world to hear. But uh, same situation. About two and a half years sober and got some devastating uh seen some things i didn't want to see let's put it like that and then uh um it got rough and um it was it was at that point i mean i and and that's exactly the heartache and you go i know how to make this stop right now i i can make it stop right now and um but i didn't for for whatever reason and it was uh it was it was I wasn't on the floor, uh, but um, I sat under my carport and was up all night. I didn't even go to sleep that night, and I was really really struggling. And called my sponsor the next morning, and I said, "Man, I need you. Like I need you." And he's got a he's got a busy job, and he said, "I'll meet you at the club," and we met and. He came right away, and I'd like to say two and a half years later that all that heartache has gone away, but it has not, and, man, it's crazy what Mike just said. I was sitting there listening because I pray about it. I do a lot of things about it. I prayed for this person. I don't know how many times. That is that has been the hardest thing in the world to do for me, um, and I've tried to pray for them to, to – you know, find their way and, and, and that things work out for them. And I've done a lot of things and it has eliminated a lot of that heartache, but it is not eliminated at all. Um, and today that is, you know, when I can, when I can go in and I, and I, Mike and I are kind of different on a lot of things, but we're wired the same way on a lot of stuff too. And I stay real busy. And one reason I stay busy and I stay doing a lot of things is because it occupies those thoughts. Um, and I'm able to focus on something that I feel like is productive or it, or it's helping somebody else. And I think Mike and I both are workaholics. I know he'll admit it. I know I will. I like to work. One reason I like to work is because my brain is busy with something. Uh, I don't have a lot of brain left, but what I do have, I like to keep uh, occupied. And you know praying about it um i saw it it was i was at that point for for a while of you know a bottle would take care of this problem you know i will not feel like this and i mean it it was it was brutal it was really bad for for a while and um but i kept coming in the, the 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 club and i kept going to meetings and i and i really got with my sponsor and we we we're on the other side of that now, and uh, I love that guy to death. By the way, I mean I'm gonna tell you what, it just yeah, man. But today, there's still some of that there. I don't I don't know that there always won't be a little bit of that there. But in that time after that, I spent a lot of time praying. I sat at home, just with nothing else to do. And there was a lot of praying and going, okay, what just happened here? Like, what, where do I go from here? And I knew, I knew the drinking would alleviate it short term, but I said, I can't go, I can't go back to that on top of this happening to, to go back to the way I was. So, um, I'm a lot better for it today. I, I watched a, a movie one time, um, facing the giants and this this football team and he gets this guy to crawl across a field like bear crawl with this dude on his back and he blindfolds him so he can't see how far he's going and he tells the guy you know go 
just keep going till you can't go anymore and the kid's halfway across the field and he's screaming it hurts it hurts and the coach says well let it hurt and that's sometimes that's what you have to do in sobriety just let it hurt you, yeah. you can't uh swallowing a frog you just got to swallow a frog you you, you um there the, and you grow from that you know and i've grown from it and uh, i've learned some mistakes that i've made there's probably a lot more that i'm going to learn about in the future that i made in that situation and i've learned some things that i'm not going to put up with anymore either you know and it's helped me grow as far as where i want to go the rest of my life and five years later it's been a pretty good deal actually even though with the heartache i'm i'm getting a fresh start on some stuff and getting to do some things that i didn't even know i enjoyed doing and now i get to do them so uh and wouldn't have been able to do that in that situation so that's funny me and mike had never talked about that but it's very very similar situation so soul brothers soul Soul brothers Brothers. that's right me and him are nothing but soul i mean when you see us (laughs) you think soul you know and the only difference is the nunchuck ability he's uh, way yeah. better at nunchucks yeah. yeah you do the butterfly knife though right no i just shoot people that's all <laughs> i do i just it's a lot easier i don't yeah. have to have the skills you know he's openly just a prop well, yeah. it just makes a lot of noise. yeah i mean, that out before court yeah <laughs> i'm not in mississippi anymore it's a new state i don't have anything hanging out there you know uh, but oh lord you know, you, know. You, talk, you talk about lessons learned, you know, yeah. how, how we really pay attention to that now um, by not battling, you know, so much. And uh, that's something I was taught early on in coming to the rooms at AA is quit freaking fighting it. Yeah. yeah. Quit fighting it. If you're standing there looking at this beer, say this bottle of water was a beer going, I'm not going to drink this. I'm, I'm not going to drink that beer. I'm not going to drink it. You're going to drink that dang beer. Yeah. You're going to drink it because you're just fighting it so hard and you're sitting there staring at it and you're trying to convince yourself which yourself is not believing a word you're saying the whole time you're doing this, you know. So you've got that's that person, person places, things. you got to change those things. Turn your back on that beer. Walk away from it and then yeah. tell yourself when you're a block down the road or a mile down the road, I'm not going to drink that beer. Yeah, and, but if you're facing it, um, you're probably going to lose. I uh, I had such a this is so funny, and I tell this story on him. But my friend that just got a year of sobriety, he called me. His family, he's trying to make amends with his family and rekindle a relationship with all his people. And uh, he calls me recently before he had a year of sobriety, maybe ten or eleven months, and he says, "Hey, my family's having a crawfish bowl. I want you to come down and just hang out with me because everybody's drinking, you know. And I want to hang around my family because I didn't do that, but I don't, I don't want to drink." And I said, "Sure, man." So I go down there and we're chilling, man. They're nice people and they're having a good time, and we're having a good time. We're eating crawfish, and a lady kind of comes by and she's got a couple of bottles of something. I don't know. And she's like, hey, we're we're making drinks over here in the back, on the back porch or whatever. And he goes, no, ma'am, we, I don't drink. And she goes, well, the party's back. You know, she just kind of, she's having a good time, you know. Right. And my man just goes, ma'am. And he just gets real loud like Chris Farley <laughs> in the whole party. And he goes, ma'am, I don't think you understand. I'm a raging alcoholic and I can't. And I mean, you could hear a pin drop. It's like the record, you know. And I'm like, <laughs> the lady was look on her eyes. It was like the deer in the headlight. And I'm like, ben, it's all right, Ben. Just calm, calm down, you know. So he put he put the stops to that right quick. But anyway, I don't think we're going to get invited back to that crawfish well, wall. It's okay. It is. Yeah, it is. My, my son told me the other night we were out there in the shop working on the Bronco. And um, he says, uh, you realize we've only cooked crawfish one time this year. And it was a every weekend event. I mean, sometimes twice a yeah. week. Yeah. And uh, I'm like, yeah, I, I have noticed that, but I'm also okay with that. Yeah, you know, I'm okay with it. And he goes, yeah, maybe, maybe we just needed some time off. You may actually finish that Bronco now that we're, we're, <laughs> now that we're making headway. There you go. <laughs> less crawfish, less beer, more Bronco. And we've entered crawfish and cooking contest and crawfish cooking contest. We never won. Well, we placed. Know. We've placed in like the top five one time and so i was telling you about the chili cook-off how i made mine with the brisket and everything else he goes well how'd you place i'm like i didn't he goes well that just uh 
proves right there that we suck at competitions. <laughs> <laughs> but let somebody need to feed the masses, and who's the first people they're going to call? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you know what you didn't suck at? So you you may, and and my friend was in that competition as well, but here's what you didn't suck at. You made chili for a bunch of people that probably a, a lot of them didn't have anywhere else to go and they were trying not to drink that day and because yeah. you made chili they came up there yeah, was, so who cares it was a cool you know day. what i mean yeah i yeah. won and you well you did win y'all all won <laughs> everybody that made it won you know everyone's chili helped me stay sober that day. i guarantee you and guarantee stay awake you. all night so well yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was sobering up all night <laughs> numb chucking himself <laughs> that's what we'll call it i think that's how he practices when nobody's around he just numb chucks himself to see how it feels you know he must ate the one with the beans oh uh, i did yeah look, i ate them all look you know you got to be tough to deal with chili like that. But well, you numchuck yourself in the back of the head enough, you get you know yes. you develop some some scars. So, um, guys, I appreciate y'all coming by, and um, look forward to having you back on the show one day. I hope y'all enjoyed the experience as much as we have. Absolutely. And hopefully, someone out there in um, wherever it is is going to hear this, and um, something will relate to them. So, um, we're going to sign out for the night, but. Um, I think on our, our next episode, we're going to go ahead and break down and talk about step three. So for the Grouch and the Brainstorm from Bossier City, Louisiana, have a good night. Good night.